Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everyone and welcome to Roll to Cast, a tabletop RPG podcast of both actual plays and interviews. I'm Sean and this week I'm joined around the table by Ellen. Hello. And Phil. Hi. We are coming to the end of our interseason content following our Vampire the Masquerade season, which means we are looking forward to what's next. Now, we have a very, very special announcement regarding the upcoming season, and to help us with that, we have a very, very special guest this week. I would like to welcome to the cyberpunk floor, as it were, media ambassador for our Talzorian Games, Mr. Jay Gray. Hello, sir. <laughs> Hi, um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you for having me on, on, on Wake Up Night City with Uncle Bob. I've been, I've been a big fan uh, ever since he held himself hostage uh, to protest the rising price of shoelaces. <laughs> See, now you've got me worried because I can't remember if he actually did that or not. Because it sounds like a Bob thing to do. Sounds very <laughs> Bob. I don't think he has shoelaces, to That's, be honest. I don't think he has shoes. <laughs> I think pure will is keeping his shoes together. <laughs> so we've actually come together for a very exciting reason. And it's something that we've held close to our vests for quite a while. And I thought no one but Jay Gray would I want to be here when we announce it. However, Phil... I will actually give you the cyber floor. I'm going to continue with that analogy. Would you like to finally give our announcement to everyone? Oh, yeah. So, uh, you can imagine me striding out onto the middle of the cyber floor. Absolutely. With the colour changing beneath my feet as I step forward <laughs> to announce that Season 3 of Roll to Cast, starting next week, will be played in the world of Cyberpunk Red, the upcoming Artasaurian <laughs> Games role-playing yes! game. But to make things even more awesome, we won't be using the Jumpstart Kit, will we? Well, it's not the finalised rules, but it is a beta version of the full rules as they will appear in the near future for the public. Mm. Yep. Uh, you have, I want to say, uh, when I gave them to you, it was the second to last beta set. Uh, there was one major revision after that. Not too many too many rule changes. Uh, so what you'll be playing is pretty close to what's going to be in the final core book. Yeah. So the thing that we got was part of an ongoing process of playtesting and revision that you do. Yeah. Uh, uh, game design is uh, what they call an iterative process where it's like we come up with an idea and then we play the idea and we find out the idea doesn't work or that this piece doesn't work with that piece because uh, you can't just make a rule in a vacuum. The rules have to actually work together for the game to function as a holistic whole. So you got uh, there was some more, a little more playtesting on the rule set you guys had, and in fact, your feedback on that was invaluable as well. And then that went over to because uh, every time uh, I was asked a question, I got 
those lovely emails. I passed those questions on and said, <laughs> hey, guys, these I got these questions, which means maybe these rules aren't quite as clear as they could be. Uh, could you take a look at them? And the team took that into account. So you guys are unofficial playtesters as well. Oh, Whoa, nice. You oh. are very lucky that we're all, well, not all of us. I'm a dumbass. So I know a lot of that was just like pure reading comprehension for me. I'm, I'm really I'm really excited as well. I'm just wondering when we're going to get paid for this. Yeah. Have, have, have you guys mentioned your Patreon yet? I hear, ah. I hear you get money oh, that way. shit. Guys, Jay's doing our job for us. This yes. is amazing. He's so, an ambassador. Professionally. And I know this is something that's been in the pipelines for a while uh, with the both of us. Well, we actually had to go into a serious crunch because it happened about a month or so ago now when we uh, received the rules from you. Um, I, I'd be very interested to talk about just kind of how the relationship that we'd have came about because I know one thing that you talked about in an early interview is that you do like to encourage people that use your content and you really like to foster relationships. You get to know them and get to know them as people and what they do because it was actually your idea to bring some of the beta rules for us. And I'd just be interested to know your your and Talzorian's mindset behind that. As you may know, I suspect since you're making an actual play podcast, actual play is <laughs> becoming a larger and larger thing. Uh, lots of people doing it. There's a, there's a, I hear there's a group out there uh, run by a, 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 a Mark Meeser, something like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the little known <laughs> spin-off. Uh, and that they, they have recently made some, somewhere north of a million dollars on one of those crowdfunding things uh, <laughs> uh, to do something or another. Uh, basic truth of the matter is is the sheer mercenaryism on, on our part is that the actual players are one of the best ways to advertise a role-playing game. And we cannot compete with the very larger, the, the, the dragon in the dungeon, so to speak, uh, when it comes to uh, groups. Though I'm happy to say that the larger professional groups are starting to branch out more, and that's really nice to see. But we do not have the budget of a major toy company behind us. One of the things we have done is we have worked with where we can and encourage smaller groups because A, uh, it is more cost-effective uh, for us. But more importantly, we find that smaller groups are more enthusiastic, and a lot of times their play feels more like play, if that makes sense. It's play versus work. I mean, not that it's not work, but it, it, yeah. clearly we're not rolling in the millions. So we're doing this because we really believe in it and really love it. And um, hopefully that kind of comes through in, in what we're doing. And, and I'm not going to say that larger shows are scripted. Uh, I don't believe they are. I think that they're genuinely playing the game. Uh, but but there's an enthusiasm that feels like you're at the table, I think, that comes often with smaller groups. At the same time, it is to be said that there is something for some really cool professional production values. And nicely, uh, after uh, we put out Witcher, and then after the big 2077 trailer in uh, that same year, 2018, uh, we started seeing some actual plays, and I came across yours because I obsessively Google stuff for the company uh, as part of my job. And I listened to, gosh, three or four episodes. Super impressed. And I say this not just because I'm a guest on your show, but you guys uh, <laughs> are doing some amazing work, not just with uh, playing. And I appreciate that you keep the roles in. You talk about it. Uh, Ellen's um, seduction role will be legendary for all time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I want that to go down in the books, damn it. <laughs> uh, the, 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 sheer, the sheer joy of that one role showing how a great role at the table changes everything for you was fantastic. But also the half hour chunks, the fact that I can listen to you while I'm driving in the car, the sound effect and audio that you've been putting in, uh, it's been fantastic. And I was like, oh, I want to work with everybody, but I want to work especially with these people. Oh my and gosh. so then you went off and you played Vampire, which is fine. I've, I've, I've run and played Vampire. <laughs> and I like Vampire. And I can't lock you into an exclusive contract. Um, Although we are open to that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, no one's put a ring on this finger. <laughs> Had I the budget, I absolutely uh, would. I'd fly you all to Gen Con <laughs> when there is actually conventions again and i would uh, <laughs> i would put you on stage absolutely but uh, until that time until such time as uh, we are uh, bought out by a major toy company lego if you're listening just want you to know uh, we, we are big fans i don't want to know what people are going to do with the cassie and amelie minifigs you know? I'm, I'm <laughs> Oh, I want you to know I was rooting for those crazy kids. Oh, man, me too. Me too. <laughs> uh, if you haven't uh, seen season one, go back because I'm about to spoil something uh, for you. But uh, I'm sorry, guys. 
Emily totally fucking died. Dude. <laughs> it was tough. Well, I, I thought it was clear, uh, personally. <laughs> I didn't want to describe, like, in, in gruesome detail it happening or anything like that. So. Yeah, that's so funny that you, you mentioned, Jay, about the, uh, the wonderful thing that can come from just purely the roll of the dice. But literally, I, I didn't think anything was going to go further with Amelie. Like, I thought that would just be a fun little character moment, but then literally got feelings... <laughs> through that interaction to the point where I was just so devastated by the end. And it's just like, that's the the wonderful thing that the, the spontaneity and having to improvise stories on the fly can really bring to you. Oh, it is it is magical. For me, as a GM, oh, it's certainly a, a unique experience having a romantic encounter through a proxy character with someone <laughs> while they get feels for them. <laughs> like, uh, I think I'm doing a pretty good job if we're all suspending our disbelief during this. Yeah. <laughs> we can still look each other in the eye. You've got to set aside a lot of ego, and I don't mean, you know, thinking well of yourself. I mean ego in the old-fashioned uh, psychiatric sense where you're putting aside your sense of self to mm. allow that that level of emotion for fictional characters you're playing to come through. I actually do also want to pick up on uh, something that you mentioned before in your in your joking manner <laughs> where you uh, talked about paying us and uh, taking us to Gen Con <laughs> and all the rest. He's not letting that go. No, <laughs> but I, and I remember you talked about kind of because I really want to highlight something that I love about Talzorian, as you mentioned, you know, you might not have the toy uh, company behind you or whatever, but one thing that Talzorian really believes in, you've talked about this, is that it looks after its its workers, it looks after its small core group of people, and you'd never want to bring someone on that you can't look after and and, and make them a part of the family, and, and that means, you know, both financially and, and otherwise. And it's true. Mike and Lisa and Cody are very careful about making sure that we can treat people well, that we can pay our freelance Answers, uh, for artists, editors, layout people, and uh, uh, so forth, writers, a good rate uh, for the industry. And in general, it's just important to take care of your people. It's tough. It is not a profitable industry. The margins are very, are very small. So, But Lisa uh, has decades of experience as a business manager and pays very close attention to the books. And decisions are not made unless there's a financial ability to back those decisions. That kind of like looking after everyone ethos, do you think that plays heavily into your role with kind of engaging with, you know, scum like us um, <laughs> or, you know, the the larger community? Because, you know, you hop online and people are, are talking and, and talking quite constantly and, and um, getting excited and asking a lot of questions. Do you think there's like that kind of responsibility for them in your job? I, I do. There are limits to what my responsibility is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for Fan example, uh, there, there are times when I am not working and I have to remind myself that I don't have to answer a question I'm getting right now. My own health is important. Uh, and that whole work-life balance thing that people keep talking about is important. Spending time with my family is important. But uh, that being said, uh, when I... Uh, engage with a group like uh, Baby Beard Media or another actual play group. And I say, hey, you're doing a really cool thing uh, playing our game out there. And I realize it is, a, it is a relationship that goes to both ways because by playing our game, you are in theory making money uh, through your Patreon and, other, uh, and ad revenue and other sources. But at the same time, I recognize that you are also providing us with a platform to, to show off our game. And I I can't pay everyone who plays the game, but I can go back and say, hey, I'll do my best to make sure people know so that you get as wide a fan base as possible. So yeah, taking care of, of the people out there and taking care of gamers too, because they're being nice enough to, I really hope, buy as opposed to pirate the books and play the game. Uh, so when they have questions, I try to answer them because th I feel like that's important. Well, to me, it speaks to the collaborative nature of role-playing games, both like in how they're made, as you say. You've got to play them and play them and, and take different people's ideas and feedback. And then you've got like the freelance artists putting in visuals to, to, to bring it to life. And then when it's actually at the table as well, these kinds of games are all about people supporting each other to have fun as opposed to competing with one another, which is what a lot of other pursuits have. So it, it sounds like you already have that, that feel and that culture all the way through the process. Yeah, it, it is not a large industry and it is important for us all to, to try to work together and uh, include everyone so that everyone can sit at the table. That's super important. 
uh, and it's something that is behind what we do. It's very interesting to hear you uh, talk about just the industry being small because <laughs> I was listening to a story you were telling where, am I right, Jay, that because you kind of uh, grew up with a love of comics and a love of pop culture and um, and gaming in general, and the first tabletop role-playing game you picked up was a Marvel uh, role-playing game, but when you picked it up, you didn't play it for five years? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I grew up in a relatively small town with a relatively small population population and I was the only person there interested in role-playing games and I couldn't get anyone to agree to play with me. Uh, somehow the town supported a comic shop, but literally no one in my school but me bought comics there. It was after the satanic panic when everyone was talking about Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> but before, <laughs> long before the big critical role explosion when everyone was talking about Dungeons and Dragons. So there was just no one who was interested in it at the time. Everyone else was out there doing sport and 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 stuff and <laughs> dating people and I think it's cooler across the board to be nerdy about anything these days. Oh, yeah. People are nerdy about sports. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the people who have their man caves filled with with, with sports <laughs> memorabilia and, and you know collect jerseys and stuff. That is way more intense and nerdy than anything I've ever done. Yeah, and stinky. <laughs> it's kind of really interesting because I didn't get into role-playing uh, until a couple of years ago, actually. And I think, Ellen, you're in a similar boat. I've yeah. mentioned this before. I don't know if you can speak to this or if you had a totally different experience, Jay, but I really struggled with the fact that I was I was a straight-up nerd as a kid. And I really kind of rejected pop culture or at least like kind of showing my love of pop culture for a very long time because I just I just found that I didn't really surround myself with a lot of people that shared those same interests. So that's something that came hard coming from a small town or once you hit into your adulthood, did that become easier to find and surround yourself with the people that share those same loves? Going to college and getting into a larger community made it a lot easier, especially since there was a role-playing club there. I've never had a problem with my identity as a nerdy person. It helps it in my living room in my parents' house growing up. There was a large framed poster of the 1701D, the Next Generation Enterprise. So, oh. Oh. I mean, you just didn't have a chance as a jock, did you? I did not. Well, that the, uh, I, I'm just, this, I was 90 pounds soaking wet up until I was about 18. Nah, blame the parents. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I learned it from watching you. <laughs> but no, yeah, then I got to college. And so if you're out there and you have no one to game with, first of all, I wish the internet had existed back when I was a kid because that makes mm. things a lot easier. You can game online. But if you're a teenager, eventually you'll get to go to a college, hopefully, or at least into a wider community. And you will find there are indeed other people like you out there and you will find new friends and you will not feel so alone in your nerddom, I promise. <laughs> Reeling back a little bit, but you found this book and you were interested in role-playing, but what actually brought you to that book if you knew no one around you was able to play it? Like, wh what was that idea of, oh, role-playing, that sounds fun? It's pretty simple. It's it's nice. It's, you know, the, here, uh, here were comic books, which I loved. I love reading comic books. And then here was a game where I can make comic book characters. It told me how to do it. Right. So it was through like a, a comic and love that you already were very interested in, you just wanted to keep it going? Yeah, basically. I was like, oh, at first it was. It was, I would make comic book characters. And then I was like, oh, there's a whole other aspect of this where I'm supposed to actually play the characters. Uh, eventually, the, the first game I actually got to play in was Star Wars, the old uh, West End Games D6 version. And the Timothy Zahn books uh, had just come out and begun the renaissance of Star Wars as a property in the world with Grand Animal Thrawn and, and, and Mara Jade and all that. And people at the summer camp I was working at at the time said, hey, they found my books. I had the Star Wars books at that point. And they said, hey, why don't we actually play this? And I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, let's play it. And I never looked back. I played, I basically played <laughs> MacGyver as, an, as a Star Wars character in that particular game. <laughs> Oh, you, you bring up a really, like, what I think is the most important question, because you created superheroes, sir. Do you remember what heroes did you create when you were doing character creation? Oh, gosh. Um, I remember one who had claws, and they could shoot the claws from their fingers, and then the claws would just regenerate. Ooh. Wolverine? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, you created Wolverine? <laughs> Well, well, no, because Wolverine's thoughts get. I was like, what if Wolverine could fire their claws like a gun? That was that was my my porcupine. Yeah. Oh, porcupine. That's, that's, that's a Marvel deep cut there. Oh, Por is it? Is that, is that real Marvel? Yeah. Hero? Well, villain. Yes, porcupine. And oh, right. Okay. Then it was on purpose. Yes, it was absolutely. It was, wears an exoskeleton, which is covered in quills, which they which he can shoot. He died by falling on one of his own quills. 
Oh. Are you kidding me? I am not. He was not a particularly oh. uh, well-respected character when it came to writing. I don't even know this character and I'm outraged right now. <laughs> hey, we've talked a couple of times about the giant monolith that is D&D, sort of overshadows the whole of the role-playing community. But, you know, aside from that, and, and one of the reasons that we approach Roll to Cast in the way that we do is that there are loads of games out there where you can go to loads of different kinds of worlds and have different kinds of adventures and tell different kinds of stories. And our Talsorian, if you look at their catalogue, it runs the whole gamut in terms of different things that you can do and, and genres that you can embody. Well, which of those do you enjoy playing the most? Here is the interesting thing. <laughs> most of them I've never played because if I'm oh. doing them, I'm running them. Uh, I have ah. the, the problem of being the eternal GM. Oh, no. So uh, I have enjoyed playing both Witcher and, and Cyberpunk Red very much. But uh, my favorite game in our catalog is Castle Falkenstein, which is our game of high adventure in the age of steam. It's not quite steam steampunk because there's not a whole lot of punk in it, but it is uh, a world where there are fairies and Queen Victoria and Captain Nemo all coexisting. And it's played with playing cards instead of dice. And you write a journal instead of a character sheet. And I love <gasps> it to pieces. Oh, my goodness. What is it about? Because I, I know because um, obviously you being the media ambassador, you have control of the Twitter. And uh, Twitter talks a lot about Falkenstein. What is it about <laughs> Castle Falkenstein <laughs> that you are that you really, really are, are kind of drawn to? Oh, goodness. Um, early 90s, which is when Falkenstein came out in 94. Uh, at that particular time, the role-playing landscape, at least where I was, was dominated by the world of darkness. I enjoyed playing and running vampire and mage especially and some werewolf and wraith was extremely depressing but really well written and i love changeling but you can only play world of darkness so long before like this miasma of uh settles into <laughs> yeah. your soul i think his name is chris <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have yeah. One of those. yeah it does explain a lot huh? <laughs> and falconstein is this relatively bright cheerful spot where it is uh, you know how you go i don't know do you have renaissance fairs in australia yeah yeah, yeah we I, do yeah. i literally went this year very cool uh, so you know how a renaissance fair has actually nothing to do with history it's like how the middle ages should have been yeah <laughs> it's all the fun parts yeah everyone's clean and dressed nicely and and no one is being super oppressed hopefully and you know it's fun and adventurous and exciting and falcon sheen is like that for the victorian era era it's like the victorian era as it should have been it's fun and adventurous and exciting and all these wonderfully public domain books are real and the characters are real and Sherlock Holmes is real and you can have these great adventures and the greatest thing about it the thing I love most about it is that everything in the book is in character because the conceit of the game is someone from our world was brought by magic to that world wrote a role-playing game based on his experiences and sent it back Tom Olam is the character. He's, he is a friend of Mike's. I'm putting friend in quotation marks. <laughs> I made air quotes. Who was transported by magic to the world of Castle Falkenstein through what's called the fairy veil, the space between the dimensions. He, being a big old nerd, in between his adventures there, uh, wrote a uh, role-playing game based on experiences for people to play there, which is why it uses cards, because gentle people don't use dice. It's very vulgar. And then he said, got Got one of his fairy friends to send it back over uh, to Mike over here, and Mike published it as a game. So the game, when you read it, it's in character from the moment you open the first page to the end of the book, including the rule section. Yeah. That is so up my alley. I can't even describe. Like, I love Victorian era things. I'm obsessed with tinctures and skirts that go out all the way to the walls so you can't walk through places and, and the weird occult fascination at the time. Like, there's so... There's so much to play with there. That oh my, I'm just I'm getting flushed thinking about this right now. It's very exciting. Put those dice away. I'm getting too aroused. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, well the, the thing is, it's not played. You know, everyone thinks Victorians were horribly prudish, sexist people, but no, there's a whole in the player book Comil Fa. There is an entire section on how to have an affair, the proper way to have an affair. There are. <laughs> Rules the gentleman's for, way. <laughs> yeah, there, there are rules for getting with people when you're married or not married for a hookup. It's lovely. There's a nice section on how to dress if you want to dress in character, how to how to, how to fake it with modern fashion. Yes. Uh, it, it is lovely. Uh, all those occult groups, the Golden Dawn and the, and the Theosophists and the Illuminati, they're all magical orders of sorcerers in the world of Castle Falkenstein. Fantastic. I, I knew it. All we had to do was mention Falkenstein and I knew, Jay, you were going to go, oh. 
I love yes. games that cater to my fashion sense. It's <laughs> wonderful. Have I mentioned that I'm basically the line developer for Falconstein right now? Yeah. It, is kind of, it is kind of my thing. Yeah, it's my jam. I will talk about it forever. Go go buy and play it, please. <laughs> Speaking of like the fun romp and excitement that comes with Falconstein compared to something that's gritty like cyberpunk, obviously you have a whole range of, of genres there. Do you think it's kind of like that creative thing of like, I just, I've been so obsessed with popping kneecaps and making sure my gig goes up and blah, blah, blah. I just need to blow off steam and, I don't know, be a silly anime girl for a second here. Like, Is it that kind of thing of just like, let's stretch our creative muscles or, or what's the need to want to jump from genre to genre? I think that's part of it. Uh, there is a friend of mine, he runs a mobile gaming library where he goes from convention to convention, brings a large library of games. People can check the games out and then play them there if they didn't bring their own games. And one of the things he's fond of saying about our game Teenagers from Outer Space, which is that silly anime game where aliens have come to Earth to go to high school. I was I was very keen to bring it up. I can't believe I only found it out a few days ago because I'm like, I was looking for an anime freaking uh, role-playing game and yeah. um, might as well have just been staring me straight in the face. But Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, no, Teenagers from Outer Space, the entire premise is uh, aliens have come to Earth to go to high school. That's it. That's, that's, that's the deep plot of the entire game. It is it is inspired heavily by uh, especially 80s anime, uh, which is not surprising considering it comes from the 80s uh, when <laughs> the first edition came out. The, the work of um, the creator of Ranma, one half specifically, played a lot into it, one of some of her earlier stuff. Uh, and her earlier work leaned heavily on the harem anime genre, which is one really ordinary, boring <laughs> guy suddenly gets a whole bunch of, of magical girlfriends. So Teenagers is sort of like that, except for it's one boring, ordinary high school gets a whole bunch of magical students. And uh, my friend, going back to the uh, the library, he was very, he's always very eager to say Teenagers is his palate cleanser, that when he gets done with his big, heavy, plot, thick, character-driven campaign, they play Teenagers for a session or two to just get rid of all the old stuff, clear it out so they can play something new. Do you ever find that you want to kind of keep tone consistent when you're playing games? Like, do you ever think someday, you know, what would it be like to go into Cyberpunk but play it like teenagers from outer space or vice versa. Do you ever see the kind of, whether it's with yourself or with other players, that the line between genres kind of blurring the more and more they dig into a game? Yes. Actually, um, <laughs> if you ever get a chance, uh, there's a game called Paranoia. Oh, yeah. From West End Games. And the, the conceit of Paranoia is that you all live in an arcology. You're all clones. You're, the arcology is run by the computer. And the computer essentially uh, has rules. And the rules are basically coded to security clearances, which are color-coded. And when they, I say color-coded, I mean it literally like if you are not coded, if you are not don't have security clearance to go into the orange and to do orange things and you go into a hallway painted orange, you're killed. And the game is so deadly that you have six clones and the clone automatically pops up the minute your character dies. <laughs> ah, so it's it's so friend, it's better lives. than cyberpunk in terms of living. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know, and it's one of those things where uh, it's illegal to have mutant powers, and of course, every character has mutant powers, and it's illegal to belong to a secret society, and of course, every character belongs to a secret society. Uh, it's a comedy role-playing game to, to make statements about the absurdity of rules-based culture in general. But my point is, to this is is that one of the writers on it is also someone who wrote on twenty Cyberpunk twenty twenty, a man named Ed Bohm, who uh, is probably best known for being the voice of Raish Bartmas, the insane Netrunner. Oh. And so Ed did a crossover venture called Alice to the Mirror Shades, which is nominally a paranoia venture where the people in paranoia go to the world of cyberpunk. And it <laughs> points out how absolutely absurd cyberpunk is when you get down to it, because cyberpunk's very much about the comedy of the absurd and how yeah. insane the world is with things like the bozos and the gilligans and uh from your own game the twists <laughs> <laughs> thank you but you know, and how that absurdity highlights uh the despair of the world at the same time so i found that i can't imagine going into cyberpunk and playing it from a tifus point of view but i found that there is plenty of comedy to be had in general on the other hand I would love to see someone try to play like a cyberpunk character in a Tifos game and just be <laughs> frustrated all the time that nothing and all the grim and gritty stuff is either ignored or doesn't work. 
<laughs> I, I am interested because just switching back to kind of a, your path to Talzorian, I'm kind of interested in where that step happened and how you got introduced to Talzorian specifically and how you ended up with this company that now you've spent quite a bit of time with. So the jump goes back to Castle Falkenstein. Uh, I was doing some freelance work for a company called Fat Goblin Games. Uh, they, at the time, were doing mostly Pathfinder and some D&D uh, third-party stuff, which those games have what are called open licenses, where other companies can develop products that are compatible with the main game. But I said to the man who owns it, Rick Hershey, a fantastic artist whose uh, work was most recently seen in the Watchmen television series. Oh, really? Yeah, there's some comic books in there that's his work in the show. He is fanta- a fantastic artist, and he runs this little company. And I said to him one day, if you happen to get Castle Falkenstein, the license for it to make new products for it. I tell you what, I will work for free. You can hold me to that. I'm very glad about it. Uh, But he did actually reach out and get the license. And I put together several books for Fat Goblin. And in the process, got to know the people at Artalzorian, Mike and Lisa and Cody, both in person at Gen Con and online through various communications platforms. And for whatever reason, when they decided, hey, after that big E3 2018 cyberpunk reveal that I talked about, things blew up for them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today where suddenly they had much more engagement that they can handle on their own. They said, hey, this guy's kind of good at that, or at least they thought I was, so why don't we hire him? <laughs> and uh, history was made. I, I, was, I was hired uh, first part-time, and as it became clear that I, there was more than enough work for me to do it full-time, they moved me up to full-time, and I've been working for them for just about two years now. Amazing. So it was just purely from really loving this game that kind of gave you the gateway to then be able to prove how much you loved it. That, that was a large part of it, loving the game, producing work, promoting the heck out of the game in the limited platforms I had uh, helped a lot. So basically, essentially, I wouldn't shut up until someone gave me a job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's how you do it. Oh, okay. (laughs) So yes, remember that the next time that you want a part in a movie, just go to the set and say, I'm not stopping talking until you either drag me off the set or you give me work. And make sure someone's there to bail you out of jail. Yeah, I'll make sure to wear my cinder block shoes as well. So it's a bit harder for them to... (laughs) forcibly remove me from the premises. <laughs> no, no, actually, that's the thing I want to ask because this is not something you guys have talked about a lot. Oh. Tell me Ooh. about your professional life as performers. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry, did you just become the interviewer? <laughs> did you just flip the script on us? <laughs> it's just, it's something you mentioned here and there that you are prof- that you all have training and professional performance experience, but you never actually say anything about that. And I'm like, do I look you up in IMDb? <laughs> you know, is there is there are, are you are you doing local rep theater? It's things I like to know. People are interested in the behind the scenes of of your show, I think, and you don't talk about it. Oh my no, goodness! No one's ever asked us that That's before. So sweet. Oh. Well, uh, so so Chris, Phil, Ellen, and myself, we actually all know each other from uh, going to the same acting school here in Adelaide. We're uh, myself and Chris were in the same year level. Phil was the one above me, and Ellen was the one below me. Hmm. Everything's in relation to me, apparently. Um, (laughs) You're the glue that keeps this whole thing together, Sean. So we have been all in various ways acting or directing. So Chris is primarily a director and he's uh, started his foray into writing this year at our Adelaide Fringe Festival, which is a big fringe festival. Second biggest in the world, actually. Yeah, Yeah. actually, yeah, you're right. Phil and myself are more so being actors and Ellen's a bit of a jack of all trades. Well, you can talk about yourself, but both writing and acting and everything. Yeah, I I, I call myself a theatre maker because it's a bit broader. I really like working in the 
theatre and me and my my friend Jamie, we um, recently started a theatre company this year, mainly just to keep producing our own work because otherwise if you it's hard out here for actors. <laughs> I mean, for myself, Jay, the whole reason Baby Beard Media came about was because I was so jaded with the Adelaide <laughs> theatre scene. I was like, well, I'm going to make my own stuff then. And that's how that came about. But yeah, so we're all just kind of professional working actors in Adelaide. But what that also entails is finding other mediums and other ways to kind of use that creativity. So if that means directing a show, writing a show, doing a podcast. Yep. Doing drag. I do a bit of drag here and there. Teaching, you know, just kind of hustling the best we can, really. Yeah. Life of a freelancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have found that many of the best, uh, I don't want to say amateur, non-critical role level performers uh, in actual play also have some level of theater experience, whether that's work in community theater or actual training. One of the people, I don't know if you know the opera geek, uh, Kelly Butler from Twitter and various other places, she is a professional opera singer as well as an actual player who is not performing much right now because no one is, well, um, yeah. <laughs> not live anyway. But I have found that there have been a lot of people who have uh, some level of professional performing experience gravitating to actual play as another medium, an another part of the hustle, but another medium to get the things out there because it's fun. And it provides, you know, it's like all those improv exercises they made you do back in theater school, only <laughs> more fun and more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember them having dice. That That's the main thing. And lore and, and rule books. Um, so I'm, 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 and math. Yeah. I'm a lot happier this way because uh, improv always has that pants shittingly scary thing of just like, oh, fuck, I don't. Where's this going? I don't. <laughs> where's the limitations, people? It could be anything. <laughs> yeah, if, if there's one thing we've we've learned is definitely our limitations. Ellen's not good at math, and I'm not good at thinking two minutes ahead of myself while I'm talking. <laughs> we've definitely found our limitations in role playing as well. It's humbling. When you say you find the actual plays to have people with a bit of training behind them, or that kind of skill around improvising and creating stories. Apart from that, what other qualities? really draw you to kind of not just the players but the storytellers as well in actual plays or, or any role-playing game part of it is uh editing helps i realize that some things can't be edited for example a twitch stream you can't edit a twitch stream when some uh, yeah. of a game but there has to be a good balance of in character and out of character you know if it's all inside jokes your group is telling and people laughing and very little actual gaming uh it's not all that great but if it is just the gaming all the time and there's no personality of the players shining through for example when one makes a great seduction role or or one takes a moment to go out of character to talk about how your character is about to do something stupid, then that kind of gets kind of boring too because I can go watch a TV show. So there's that, that combination where you're getting invested in both the characters and the actors, especially when the actors are going to go on and move and do another set of characters. It, it's an interesting combination. Same way, you know, you get invested in, say, a movie star and then mm. also in their roles. But I think it's even that, that connection is even more important to make that connection in both capacities in an actual play. Man, that's really gratifying to hear. That's like the whole ethos of our podcast. I'm yeah. glad that comes through. <laughs> you guys do a great job with it. And I, I have to say it's something like it's maybe 80% the game and 20% the the actors in, in terms of what I like for balance. And if it gets much more than that, then it's like, I don't want to spend 30 minutes hearing you guys talk about what you did this week. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that you have lives and that you're people, but I do want to know a little bit about you. And I don't mind maybe you having a... Uh, a show just about a behind the scenes, but I don't need to, that long spiel at the beginning necessarily about, well, how was your week and what did you play and what are your things you're doing? I like to get right into the game. And then as the game goes on, the personality of the players shines through in the, in the in-between things. And that feels like playing too, because that's what happens at the table, right? You, you play... And then there's the, the little joke you make about the thing that just happened or the, the, the moment of celebration when a role goes well or the commiseration when a role goes badly. And I think that's a good balance that makes a good show. Thank you. And, and you know what? I see what you're doing here. You flipped it on us and <laughs> I won't stand for it. Um, <laughs> to jump on just kind of your the, the theme of you talking about kind of what you like and what you enjoy. And I do want to tie that back to Red because we have we talk about a lot in our episode zero what we're really looking forward to in the season 
season of Red because we can talk about it at that point. As as you as someone who has playtested and worked on Red and, and seen the Twitch streams and heard other people do the apartment and get a bit of an idea on what we've done in the season, what is it about Red in particular that fires up your passion and your imagination, your fervor? Like, what are you really looking forward to with the system as a whole that you relate to and that gets you going personally? In general, uh, you mentioned the apartment. The apartment's one of my favorite scenarios because the apartment really takes that make it personal ethos and does street level. And I love the street level games much more than the big I am a Cybermark games. That's my personal style. I'm a big fan of the start relatively small build up form of doing things. So I'm excited about seeing what people will do with that and the stories they'll tell. Um, I'm excited about the fact that the rules, hopefully you can attest to this, run faster and smoother and maybe have a little less math involved. They certainly are streamlined in some really key areas. Yes. I really like the new organization of the skills. There's there's a lot of refinement that's happened in there. And I, I think the world, which we've had a little bit of a sneaky look at in the Jumpstart Kit, is one that people are really going to enjoy running around in. It's a really different kind of cyberpunk world. I've started to think of it as semi-apocalyptic. Mm. Civilization hasn't quite ended. Yeah, I I, I, I I equate it to continental Europe right after World War II when, you know, all the infrastructure had been, especially Germany, which yeah, all this infrastructure destroyed. And it's not like you've lost contact with the outside world. It's not like there isn't things happening, but everything has to be built back up again. And so you've got this great balance, this combination where you can have all the traditional cyberpunk things you want. You can have corporations with power and you can have uh, cybernetic limbs and you can have net running of a sort. But at the same time, you can do the things where you're part of this group in this neighborhood. There is, um, oh gosh, Never mind. I was about to say. I'm, I was about to spoil your own. Your own. <laughs> darn th- your own. Because 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 uh, I actually have heard the first episode and it is great. By the way, um, I really enjoyed it. But you guys, without spoiling anything, got that balance of this is a community of people doing their best to survive without help from the outside world. But at the same time, there is an outside world to travel to, and it's not just you know gangs of of leather fetishists driving around on vehicles. There's this this nice balance of the cyberpunk and the post-apocalyptic that allows you to move between those two worlds. I think it's really nice for the punks to have a chance to finally take a, like a piece of the world for themselves. Because it's all being rebuilt, they can sort of stake their claim a bit better. Whereas it feels sometimes in, in 2020 that they always know that they're going to lose yeah. and, and what they're doing is just sort of sticking up two fingers on their way out the door. Absolutely. That, in fact, is, for example, in the exec class, uh, the exec role, uh, which is the new form of the corp, that's the, the whole point behind it was not, oh, I'm just another cog in the Arasaka machine. It's the, I may not be the boss yet, but we have, I have people who work under me. I have goals. I have the ability to move up in the world, maybe start my own company eventually and to make a mark on things. I like what you said about it being personal because it's, you know, in the world, players can can have roots and have communities and, and this kind of sense of home that you don't really get in 2020. Like you have where people live, but it's mainly about being out there and, and you know, you're a live wire and, and part of the night and part of the scene. And, and yeah, you're, you're a, a little speck that's going to burn bright, but then extinguish. But it, it's nice to have have as much as it is so fueled with action and and really big in certain ways that I absolutely love there is this kind of nice sense of just home to it and that's one of the reasons we put the apartment in uh, the jumpstart kit was because we wanted to emphasize that in the apartment you literally start as part of a community you live in this building you have a reason to want to protect this building there are other people living in this building and you know them and you get to know them and we encourage the role play to happen where you meet your neighbors <laughs> gina was a bit of a favorite for our neighbor <laughs> I, I gave her <laughs> i gave her a, a really thick kind of kind of new york yeah, kind yeah. Of she was a tough old bird <laughs> <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting you talking about uh, encouragement as well because one thing that definitely Red encouraged us to do that going mainstream in Cyberpunk 20 did not is we always ran from fights for the most part in 2020 and, and Red just gives you that impetus to just nah get your damn gun out get a helicopter blade if you can find one <laughs> and just go just go nuts you you might still die it's a very real possibility but it just gives you that extra like here you go here's a chance to not die mm. the rules <laughs> Are We don't want to call them less lethal, but they're more nuanced in their lethality uh, with the critical wound system, especially. You're more likely to come out alive, but, oh, now I definitely need to go get that new arm or, oof, I used to have a spleen. I think I left it somewhere back there. Yeah, you can trade all these blows and then, boom, something serious can happen. Yeah. 
So yeah. so there is still that combat has serious consequences idea, but it is no longer as player character ending as it once was. You still have a decent chance. And with um, the, I'm assuming you guys use the full customization rules because there's three types of character oh, generation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, we went, we went full hog. Full hog. Yeah, there are three types of character generations in Cyberpunk Red. There is the kind that was in the jumpstart where you make some very basic random or specific choices, but everything's pretty much made for you. There is uh, what we call the fast and dirty method, which is you make choices from various temp- areas of the template, but there's still a template. And then uh, the full Megillah, the complete customized version, where the only thing that's pegged to your role is your role special ability. Everything else is open. You do not have, to- you can be a rocker who does not have a single performance skill if that is something you really want to do. You can be a solo <laughs> who does not have a single uh, uh, weapon skill if that's something you really want to do. Uh, but there is no specific limits on what you can and can't do beyond uh, how many ranks of a skill, for example, you can buy. That's the same is true with cyberware and gear. You are allowed to do what you want. So if you want a rocker who is, for example, a professional wrestler and a really good hand-to-hand fighter, you can do that. Now I'm regretting everything. <laughs> I like the new emphasis and balance on the different role specialties. You've you've opened them out and, and really made explicit what it is that you can do with the roles because the seeds of them were, were there in 2020. But, but now if you take, say, a fixer like Junk, it will codify what kinds of people you can talk to and who you might know in various circles and and then what resources those people can provide you and we have a tech in the upcoming season and they have about four different special areas they can divide their specialty up into it's it's really really cool and really really dynamic um in fact the first time i read the fixers uh role ability in detail was uh, midway through your first season i believe uh was put out and i remember thinking to myself that would have saved them so much trouble uh, in making Thanks. stuff up if they had had this particular set of rules for the fixer because it's, it governs how you find stuff and how, you know, I'm looking for stuff. There are now rules for finding that stuff. And, you know, like, for example, I need uniforms for this corp and security squad. Now, there are actual rules for that uh, in the fixer for getting stuff and making contacts and blending into groups. And I think that will help make the GM's life easier and help the fixer understand. And this was true across all the roles, help them, the people with those roles understand what they can do. For example, Cassie, I think, would have had an easier time with the new uh, rocker abilities mm. because they are specifically keyed to work for individuals, small groups, and large groups with different effects, but t- depending on your relative level of fame for each. So you're not just like, oh, well, I have to do a concert to make a change. Now you can have fans and get those fans to do things for you. Which seems a bit more, not not just streamlined, but also realistic in, in kind of diving down and it allows you to kind of really sink into your character because, um, you know, in 2020, it was really fun to be thinking deep about what would be the day-to-day life of a rocker. But having those limitations and those guidelines to push you and ask you questions and excite you and provoke you is just really nice as a player to be like, oh, this is who I am and I can get really, really detail every little thing about me. And that comes from, you know, 30 or so years of, of experience with the game where one of us would run it, Mike especially, and someone would say, well, I it doesn't say I can do this, but can I do this? <laughs> you know, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't say I can get this fan to give me their gun because I need a new gun, but can I? Or the corpse saying, well, it doesn't say I can requisition a solo from the security squad at the corporation, but can I? And uh, things like that. Uh, and as and so basically, it was cases of people pushing the boundaries and us seeing those boundaries pushed and saying, well, they shouldn't be boundaries. They should be part of the role and putting it in. Uh, the Nomad, which I believe you have one of those as well, is especially cool. In some limitations, if you're not going to have a game with a lot of vehicle work, a lot of vehicle uh, stuff, it's, it won't be maybe as interesting uh, to you and you... Uh, but the fact that the Nomad just gets a vehicle, multiple vehicles, in fact, <laughs> and then it can customize those vehicles is really, really cool. And it's, you know, it's not a, oh, well, I am this Nomad, but I cannot afford my cool, my cool, badass battle wagon. Now you'll be able to start with a decent battle wagon because that is your how family has it. Nomad, your family has it. <laughs> it's not yours. It belongs to the collective that is your pack or your family, but you have full access to it. Don't get any scratches on that. It's my dad's. He'll kill me. Well, sounds like our season's going to be very interesting if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. You know, I bet I, when you get back, you're going to have that, that, that mechanic that says, what did you do to my baby? 
I know there's uh, not a lot that you're allowed to talk about at this stage, but one thing I'm curious about that didn't really factor into our game and wasn't really part of the rules that we saw is how the progression system works in Red. Is there mm-hmm. anything that you can say in regard to how that's going to pan out? Uh, what I can say is that there is an IP system. It is still a, I earn points, I spend points to raise things. It is not level-based in the way that uh, a class-based system would be. So it, it sticks to that. There are going to be uh, new and interesting ways to earn IP. It's not just going to be a end of the session, you get IP kind of thing. There's going to be new ways, new guidelines for GMs to do it, new ways for players to do it. We're working on making it more personal, if that makes sense. So it's not just about, oh, I finished the adventure. At every checkpoint, I get X points so that it is something that your character can work for as an individual to encourage individual goal and roleplay pursuits as well as we're working on that. I can't say too much more about it, but it is still going to be a basic IP based system. Mm, That sounds exciting. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. So, Jay, we are actually coming towards the end of the episode. But for those who are listening, this episode did serve a number of purposes, one of which was we were very excited to announce what we'll be doing for season three, which, again, we will be playing Cyberpunk Red. And we won't be using the Jumpstart kit. We will be using the beta rules. And this is a season that we will be starting as of next week. And the final reveal we have to give you all is the name of our campaign. So when you tune in to us next week, you'll be joining us as we begin our exciting new Cyberpunk Red story feed the beast i'm pretty sure that's a vampire thing you just did are you sure you're not playing vampire fifth edition again (laughs) are you jealous jay (laughs) i am i am absolutely jealous all those cool gothy people with with their eyeliner and and their and their (laughs) onks well you know what they're jealous when we get to be cool punks running around flipping off the system (laughs) with our helicopter blades (laughs) (laughs) by the way yeah, I, I should point out the reason the helicopter blades keeps coming out because it is an example of a very heavy melee weapon in the game. So that is one of the reasons why we keep mentioning it. Oh, if it's not a part of your cyberpunk red story, then you aren't playing it right. <laughs> Get a helicopter blade, <laughs> find one. I don't care what you have to do. It was one of those things that when I was looking through, I was like, am I so out of touch? <laughs> is this the name of a weapon I don't know about? Is it a euphemism? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, it's a fucking helicopter blade off of a helicopter. And I was like, whoa. Yep. They ain't messing around. <laughs> <laughs> Given that we're at the tail end of the conversation, I also thought this might be a good opportunity to address the development and release of Cyberpunk Red itself. I know you've gone into this in a bit of detail on your website and social media, but perhaps it's a chance to reiterate for any listeners who are unaware. You had initially planned for a particular time frame, but that was always under the condition of, we are aiming for this, but it is not a promise. Is it possible for you to talk about where Artelzorian is in terms of the development of the full game? We have been thrown curves in the past. Uh, the first curve was that, as people know, there is a video game coming out, which is takes place in the cyberpunk universe from CD Projekt Red, or um, Projekt Red, as they say in Poland, Cyberpunk 2077. And because it takes place in the cyberpunk universe, this game is cyberpunk, but it's its own thing. It's fully compatible timeline-wise with 2020 in Red. We had to make sure, uh, we had to basically wait for them to finish their lore working with us so that our lore reflects their lore and vice versa. So that delayed it from where we originally wanted to put it to we were aiming for June, and then a pandemic broke out. (laughs) (laughs) And I am told I cannot say certain words... On YouTube, interestingly enough, because YouTube is trying to... Yeah, we figured that out the hard way as well. Yeah, they're, they're trying to trying to uh, to uh, uh, keep conspiracy theorists, so they're automatically looking for certain words. So I will say the first of the big events, which, which shut down the world, occurred. Um, and that, unfortunately, we want to try to, as fair as possible to our retail partners, our distribution partners, our players who prefer physical books as opposed to digital books. We want to try to be as fair as possible. So we're not releasing the digital before the physical. Uh, We're trying to release them roughly at the same time. And because the distribution and retail chains and the printing chains, for that matter, all the supply chains have been really janked up. Now we had to push it back to we're hoping for the end of summer. We're still not promising and we can't promise until we actually work with the printer to get specific print dates. Because for example, our printer for a while was not allowed to print anything that wasn't considered essential, like textbooks. Because uh, we work with a printer that is 
on the North American continent. And so they had to deal with uh, the same shutdown restrictions other businesses had to deal with. So, sorry, I, I just had to do some reconfiguration in my brain. Were you thinking for, about when summer yeah, is? Yeah, because <laughs> I, I had to remind myself that summer is different. So uh, for Australian listeners, yep. Jay is talking about American summer. It's always fucking summer here. Sorry, Amer- <laughs> American summer, which technically is uh, like a little bit in the first week or two of September. Once again, it's worth reminding everyone that these are planned dates. But yes. to be honest, the way I've always looked at it is it will be out when it's ready. At, at this point, I don't want to give it. I, I don't want to give a more specific date because every time I do, the world blows up, and I don't want to give myself <laughs> anymore. And in the meanwhile, we've been doing monthly previews. By the time this comes out, the Cyber 6 preview will have come out where we'll have introduced characters, new characters who will appear in Cyberpunk Red in a fiction story that is going to be uh, new to the book, to Cyberpunk in general. It's a new fiction story. And the characters were made with the help of a group of people who in real life have prosthetic limbs. Oh, wow. Awesome. We thought it important, and Mike especially thought it important, that if we're talking about a future where there are cybernetic limbs and cybernetic parts, that we should work with people who experience that cyber future in their cyber present. And so we worked with them to create the characters. We'll be talking about the characters as showing off art, as well as introducing the people who help us make the characters and uh, announcing that we'll be giving a portion of the proceeds from Cyberpunk Red to a, we have not yet determined what, NGO, a nonprofit, which works with giving kids who need uh, prosthetics, prosthetics. That is so fucking dope. I think that's really amazing for you as a company to do that work in terms of representation because not only is it great to involve people within those communities, but when you get people with those lived-in experiences, you'd be surprised by all the funny little things and real experiences that keep feeding the art and you get to learn something that makes you think, I would have never considered that because I've not lived with that experience. So I just I just think that's so amazing. Yeah. It's is super important, um, and there is humanity loss in cyberpunk. That you know the, the concept of you get too much cyberware, your, your humanity loss goes down, your empathy goes down, your ability to relate to other human beings goes down, and then of course you may eventually spiral into cyberpsychosis. And we are making an effort with Red to point out that can happen with enhancing cyberware, but there are other options. Uh, For example, there are clone limbs and body parts, which are installable. You can basically go get a new arm grown and put on. And it's actually, I believe slightly cheaper than getting a good military-grade cyber arm. And I think uh, this is the part where I can't be quoted on, but I think this is something they're working on, is in the main rulebook, there'll be what they call medical-grade cybernetics, which are basically cybernetics that provide absolutely no enhancement. For example, even a cyber arm, for example, is a melee weapon as opposed to a brawling weapon. And so these medical-grade prosthetics will essentially be cyber limbs or cyber parts, but they will not have any special enhancements. You will not be able to put options into them like claws or pop-up guns or night vision in your eyes, but they will be there and they'll also be an option and they will not have humanity loss. So that's the thing we're working on. And then next month, uh, which will be this month, I think when this comes out or close to, there will be another preview and we will keep putting out stuff once a month. Every every game in our lot, every, Cyberpunk, Witcher, and Falcon scene all get something, whether it's new content that you can download for free or uh, news about the line. And Jay, where's the best place that people can keep up to date about all these projects, whether that's your website or social media? What's the best way for us to stay informed? You can visit us at rtelzoriangames.com or on Twitter, you can find us at at rtelzoriangames. We're also at Facebook as rtelzoriangames. And on Instagram, I believe as official rtelzoriangames. Uh, so we are in many places, uh, and I, we generally, when we say something on one platform, we say it on all the platforms. Jay, I want to thank you so much for dedicating your time to speaking with us today, and also for being the impetus for us being able to jump into the new season of Cyberpunk Red. We mm-hmm. absolutely could not have done it without you. All your support and promoting us and encouraging us and really making us feel welcome in this community and with this game, it's been so appreciated. Uh, you guys are amazing, and so thank Thank you for representing both (laughs) cyberpunk and role-playing in general so well. I'm sure the the folks at White Wolf and Onyx Path feel the same way about your vampire work because you've done wonderful, amazing things and everyone should give to their Patreon because they deserve it. (laughs) Oh, well, because you said so. (laughs) That is www.patreon.com slash babybeard. 
We have a number of different tiers and a bunch of different rewards, including Patreon-exclusive podcasts that we release monthly. That being said, we're always on the lookout for new and exciting things that we can bring to you on Patreon. So if you do have any ideas on what you'd like to see or hear, please let us know. That being said, once again, Jay... Thank you. Yeah, honestly, this has been so much fun and so heartwarming. I have had a blast. Thank you for having me. And until next week, when we will be beginning a very fresh season of Roll to Cast, which will be the Cyberpunk Red campaign called Feed the Beast, I've been Sean. I've been Ellen. I've been Phil. I I apparently am Jay. (laughs) See you in Night City, everyone. Roll to Cast, Feed the Beast is a Baby Beard Media production. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and all our podcasts are on Spreaker, Spotify, YouTube, and all good podcatchers. You can support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash babybeard. Cyberpunk Red and all associated properties are trademarked of R. Telsorian Games, used with permission. 